Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. This morning I'm going to preach in a little more of a teaching at an exegetical manner. As we begin, I want us to consider the argument going on in David's life. I've preached from the Psalms just this past week. Brother Mark's funeral service, and I come to another psalm, and just as in the other psalm that I preached from this week, we see an argument going on in David's life. He wants to trust God, but he also fears man. How many of you have ever been there before? You want to trust God. You've got some faith there. You know you want to, but at the same time, fear of man and fear of what can go on in this world is coming at you. Come on, anybody there, you know what I'm talking about. And he writes in this psalm while hiding in a cave from Saul who is trying to take his life. If you see that, if you've read, you probably already noticed there that David writes this from a cave. You know, something about true Christianity that, that is always so appealing to me that I never want us to get away from. You know, I know sometimes that if we're not careful that we can get inside our churches and get inside of our cathedrals and get inside of our groups, and, and we kind of forget sometimes about life and reality. But aren't you thankful that this psalm, this psalm was not written in a monastery somewhere? This psalm was not written up in a high lofty place. It wasn't written in the temple. It wasn't written in the tabernacle. It wasn't written in some place of protection where it seemed like the cares of the world and problems of this life couldn't get near to them. No, David wrote this psalm in a damp, dark cave hiding for his life from a king that had gone mad. I don't know about you, but it it gives me confidence in this word again to remember that God got this thing to us and got this thing for us, not just when we're here in the safe confines of this building here at 100 Loxley Way, that it's not just for times of safety and security when we're worshiping together, but this book came from and applies to us no matter what kind of cave we may be in. Well, y'all are starting to wake up. I said, I'm thankful that it applies to us no matter what kind of cave we may be hiding in, no matter what kind of problems we may be facing, no matter what kind of crazy devils are coming after us. He had a king that the Spirit of the Lord had been taken from. He had a king that had gone mad, that was pursuing his life, but yet that's exactly where he found the Lord. Can I just stop for a moment just even in my introduction and remind you that no matter where you're at or no matter what problems that you're going through right now, that if David could beat God in a cave while a crazy king was pursuing him, that no matter what you're facing right now, no matter what problems that you're having, no matter how hard the enemy is pursuing you, I'm telling you God is right where you're at. He'll meet you right where you're at and he will help you through what you're going through. Give God praise if you believe it. So let's look at this. We're going to take these seven verses apart. Let's look at the first three verses. Is it all right if I read that again, at these first three verses? Uh, Y'all all all right with reading the Bible here today? (laughs) 
Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things unto me. He shall send from heaven and shall save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Let's unpack this for just a little bit. First of all, we see that word. It stands out to me, mercy. Somebody say mercy. Mercy in its very simplest definition is, of, is, is this. God, don't give me what I deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. Some months back, I was driving through a little place in Tennessee and as I was driving, as you know, a lot of times in some places, speed limits will change randomly. As I was driving through a place, I really wasn't trying to speed. I'm going to be honest. There's been times where I've really been trying to speed, and, and, and I wasn't, and, it did, and I meant to do it. But th this time, I was not really meaning to. It changed on me. And all of a sudden, I see blue lights, and the officer pulls me over, and I tell him, I said, officer, I'm sorry. I said, I'm going to be honest. There's been times I've sped and I meant to speed, but I really didn't mean to. And you know what? He had mercy on me because you know what I deserved? I deserved I was going over the speed limit. And what I deserved was a ticket, but I received mercy. Thank God for mercy when we don't get what we should get. I could tell you another story. Actually, I was leaving this very church here after Pastor Hank Anderson's funeral. And we had ate with a group of pastors afterwards, and I was on 45 going back down to Loosedale. I was going through Brooksville down there. And let me just tell you, on that time, I was speeding. And I meant to speed. I was well over the speed limit where it goes down there at the fort between 45 and 45 alternate. And I got saw blue lights in my mirror, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and that time, that time I meant to do it. That time, I knew I was trying to get back down south, trying to get home, and I knew I'd done it. And that officer pulled me over. We had a conversation there, and thankfully, thankfully, you know what happened? Mercy. Mercy happened. Mercy happened. I did not get what I deserved. Now, in both cases, one, I really didn't mean to but I still deserved it. And in another case, I was meaning to, and I still got mercy. Mercy, God, don't give me what I deserve. Can I just remind us today that what we deserve in human beings in our own right, Isaiah said, our righteousness is like filthy rags. And who I am and what I can do and what I have to offer in myself, the only thing that I deserve is an eternity burning in hell. Now, I know that's not popular preaching anymore, and it makes people uncomfortable, but in and of myself, in my worthiness, in my righteousness, in anything I can do, all I deserve is an eternity in hell. But thanks be to God for his great mercy. Because of the mercy of God, there are so many times in my life that I deserve something, but because of the mercy of God, I do not get those things. If you've ever had mercy. Somebody give God praise for just a second. Now, this word is not here, but this is just a Sunday morning bonus. Somebody say it's a bonus. The difference between mercy and grace, mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. Grace is, God, please give me what I don't deserve. Grace is when I get something that I don't 
deserve the blessings of the Lord. That's just a bonus. I got to keep moving. We find this phrase, in the shadow of your wings. Now, this is not actually the most popular place. I think most of you that are familiar with scriptures and have been in this church much, then you know there's another psalm where that little phrase is a little more popular from the book of Psalm chapter 91. David here, again, in, in this psalm is talking about the secret place of the Most High. You see, I am convinced that we still, even though we do go out into the world and even though we are a part of this world and we are in this world but not of this world, there are times that we must find ourselves hiding in the shadow of God's wings. We must find ourselves hiding in the secret place of the Most High. At one point, Moses was told by the Lord, come up here with me. Can I remind you, church, that as tough as this world is, as hard as this world is, as much trouble and tribulation as we have, there are times where we must find ourselves in the secret place of the Most High, to find ourselves in a place where the enemy can't find us, find ourselves hidden in a place where hell can't touch us, to find ourselves in the place. And aren't you glad that that place of God can be anywhere? It's not a physical place that you have to go. David was trapped in a cave. David was trapped in a cave, and even in the cave, he talked about in the shadow of your wings, the secret place of the Most High. Can I tell you that Jonah, in the belly of the whale, found him place, found himself in the place, the secret place of the Lord Most High. David, in a cave, found himself in the secret place under the shadow of the wings of the Lord Most High. Can I tell you, in your bedroom at night, in a hospital room, in a funeral home, driving down the road in your car, at your workplace, no matter where you are, I believe that we can find ourselves under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty God. He said, until these calamities, sometimes we ask ourselves, how in the world did I get in this mess? Have you ever been there before? Well, let's just be honest. Sometimes we really mess up and we're like, I got myself into this stupid mess. Anybody ever been there before? <laughs> but then sometimes we just find ourselves, we're like, how in the world? I didn't mean to get here. This was never my intention to get here. How did I find myself here? In fact, calamity is the Hebrew word hava, which means to rush upon. I don't know about you, but there have been a few times where it seems like calamity has just rushed up on us, where calamity has scared us. In fact, I think it was yesterday you know, I, I won't lie, there's sometimes I enjoy trying to, you know, sneak up behind family members and scare them. Don't y'all act like y'all have never done that before. Yesterday, I, I didn't even mean to scare Jamie, and she jumped. I don't even remember where we were, and I just, I wasn't even trying to do it and scared her. But sometimes, sometimes trouble's like that, isn't it? Sometimes I'm not even, there's some times where I'm like, I'm, I'm looking for trouble. Come on, y'all ever been there? There's times where I'm like, I'm, trouble is all around here. Trouble is going to get, I'm looking all around trouble. It may, it may find me, but it ain't going to sneak up on me. <laughs> but there's sometimes, there's sometimes I ain't even looking for it. 
There's sometimes where I ain't even been thinking about trouble. There's sometimes when it's the last scene, but calamity, hava, means to rush upon. There is sometimes where I'm not expecting it. I'm not even thinking about it, but before I know it, woo, trouble has son come upon me. And David says this in verse 2. Basically, he says, I'll just start crying out. And that will get the Lord's attention. He will not let me down. Now, I think you've heard me enough preach, and I want you to know that there are times, there are times that we can whisper a prayer unto the Lord, and he hears us. But listen, there's sometimes when you study this wordage here in verse 2, I will cry unto the Lord. You study the very definition of that, and that's not just a, Jesus, would you please help me? Jesus, would you? Listen, there's nothing wrong. Sometimes that's all right. But sometimes, sometimes there's a, oh, God, help me. Come on, you've got to have been there before, too, where it's not just, you're not just, no, it's a, everything within me is like, God, please help me. I don't know how this has snuck up on me, but I need your help. David knew because he penned in Psalm 34 and 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. David was aware of the fact that God was always listening, that his ears was always open. And even though he knew that he could hear a whisper, there's just something about. Come on, y'all. How many parents in the room here today? You know what it means. I, I sometimes have selected hear, selective hearing. I live with three females. There's a lot of talking that goes on. I sometimes do have selective hearing. And, and you know, I, I, I know, I know the difference. There's something about the ears of a parent. But daddy, 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 Dennis, 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 daddy, daddy, daddy. How many of you know, come on, parents, you know there's a difference in a just a, oh, God, what do you want now? And a desperate cry for help. Even when they're small and they can't even talk. You know, there's a, uh, uh, it's like, you ain't really trying, you know. <laughs> You're not that bad off. You're not that hungry. You're not that wet. You're not that dirty. I mean, that's, you're barely, you're not that upset. You're just barely trying. There's a difference, though, when the cry, you can hear it, can't you? A desperation. And David was a son crying out to a heavenly father. He said, he said, I will cry unto the Lord in desperation. Can I just tell somebody this is not just a message on prayer, but it's part of it. Can I tell you there may be some times in your life when just a little lay me down to sleep prayer is not going to cut the mustard. There's going to be some times in your life where you need to get out in the woods or lock yourself in your closet or wherever you need to get in your car by yourself or out somewhere and cry out with everything that's within you to the Lord. 
find in verse 3, he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. You know, sometimes we convince ourselves that our enemies are also God's enemies. But God really wants to save our enemies. Now, this is a tough pill to swallow. Y'all were like, you were preaching good, Pastor, till now. But God really wants to save our enemies. Now, please don't point at anybody. Close, close your eyes for just a second. And I want you to just think about, just think for just a moment. When I say this, the first part, don't say it out loud. No, this is just you right here. I just want you to close your eyes and think about if there was somebody it just seems like they're against you. May it be at work, wherever it may be. There is against you. They're just trying to harm you. They aggravate you. If there's anybody that you would think of as an enemy, think about that person right now. All right, look at me. I'm sure most of you had somebody come to your mind. Well, can I tell you, that person you just thought of, God wants to save them just as much as he does you and me. It's not his will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You see, God wants to save your enemy as much as he wants to save you. And many times we ask him to destroy them instead of heal them. But we have to step over into the New Testament where Jesus comes and begins to fulfill the word, and he says what? Pray for those. Y'all didn't want me to go there. I know you were comfortable in this psalm here. You didn't want me to go. Pray for those that hate you. Pray, do good to those that use you. Bless them that persecute you. Jesus said it that way. So that one, that enemy that you feel like is your enemy is not necessarily God's enemy. Because can I tell you, really, there's only one enemy, and his name is Satan. Can I tell you that person, and listen, I'm, not, I'm honest, listen, I, if we all, we can think about that, and we can think about a person that we think of as our enemy, but that person is not really your enemy. The only enemy we really have is the devil. Every other person is a man or a woman just like us that has faults and failures and needs the redemptive power of Jesus Christ's blood to save them from a devil's hell. We need that. So can I just put a little Jesus in this psalm? Can I jump to the New Testament and remind you that when you have an enemy, that enemy is not really your enemy, and they're certainly not God's enemy. Satan is your enemy, and I encourage you to pray for your enemy. I knew y'all wouldn't amen. Let's keep on moving. Verse 4, my soul is among lions. And I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp, sharp sword. Who am I kidding? This is serious. Suddenly David's mind, he's been on the Lord. He's been in these verses. He's had his mind on the Lord. He's talking about sending from heaven. He's talking about his mercy. He's talking about a refuge. And suddenly, reality catches up in verse 4. And suddenly, David's mind turns from God back to 
the problem. You know, we all do that. We get our mind off our problems for a little while, turn our mind on the Lord, but before we know it, we're back focused on the wrong stuff. Maybe you've never been there before. I'll just let this be confession of the preacher time. There's been times where I seem like I'll get my mind off the problem, get my mind off the enemy, get my mind off the situation, get my mind on God, feeling good, feeling victorious, and then, oh, this is a bad situation again. He said, I'm among lions. He says, these people are on fire. They are so mad. They, they are determined to destroy me. They are determined to kill me. And look what happened the minute David started focusing on his enemy instead of God. Satan walked in the room and made the problem and the enemy look bigger than they really were. He's good. I hate to give him any credit, but he's good at that. He's good at making us think that our problem and our enemy and our situation is bigger than the God we serve. And suddenly now David begins to listen to the whispers of the enemy, and he says their teeth are like spears. They can shoot arrows from their lips, and their tongues are like swords. Let me just show you how the enemy works. Because if you fast forward in the story to 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 20, this is Saul speaking. And he says, And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thy hand. They were equally afraid of each other. You know, I used to could quote you the statistic, but do you know that like most, the vast majority of the stuff we worry about never happens? The vast majority of the stuff that we're afraid of, that we worry about, that we fret about, that keeps us up at night, the vast majority of those things that we let consume our mind and suck our faith never even happen. David is in, when he's writing Psalm 57, is in the cave. He's afraid. He's talking about Saul and his armies. He's describing them of, as men on fire, whose teeth are like spears and arrows and their tongue like a sword, when all the time his enemy, Saul, is thinking to himself, David's going to win in the end. Can I tell you that the devil, as much as he comes like a roaring lion, he knows the end of the story too. He knows in the end who is going to win and who is going to lose, but he's still going to whisper those lies in your ears. He's still going to try to get you to be afraid of the stuff that's probably never going to happen anyway, and he knows that you're going to win anyway. What if, what if we knew as much as that? Saul knew. He eventually was going to tell David, I know you're taking the kingdom. 
He asked him in the next verse, please don't destroy all of my seed. I know you're going to do this. Can I just tell you, the next time that the devil, I want you to remember that, the next time the devil is breathing down your neck, telling you he's going to kill you, telling you that nothing in your life is going to work out, telling you all that, I want you to just remind him, I know that you know, you old devil. I know you know that you were defeated. I know that you know that you were placed under my feet. I know that you know what's going to happen at the end. I know that you know that one day, you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. You know it, devil. And I'm not going to listen to your lies anymore. Sometimes the enemy knows the reality more than we do. Verse 6. No, 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 wait. Verse 5. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. In verse 5 then, David switches back again and praises the Lord. My enemies, are, there are men on fire, teeth like spears, their, their tongue is a sword, all that. But, but then in verse 5, he comes back and he's like, the big salted old God in the heaven. He, he takes a praise break. But then... In verse 6, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. And he jumps back again from faith to fear. This is a fierce argument that is going on in his heart. I don't, and once again, this may just be confessions of the pastor. Y'all might get together and be like, that dude ain't got no faith. We need to get us another preacher. But as for me, I feel like sometimes my faith is bipolar sometimes. I mean, he's going for these dudes are on fire. Their teeth are like swords. Their tongue is like a sword. Their teeth are like spears. Then uh, be thou exalted, O God. Hallelujah. Take the praise break. God's got this. Hallelujah. I'm gonna, I've got the victory in Jesus Christ. Back to, they prepared a net for my steps. My soul's bowed down. They've digged a pit before me. Come on, somebody. Y'all been there before, hadn't you? I mean, we can go from faith to defeat. In a moment, standing at the crossroads, we have a choice to make. Can I just stop for just a second and just remind, put a pause right there. David, at this point of his life, David has killed Goliath. He's already done, that's been there and done that. You know, the big, bad, almost 10 foot, 9 foot something, 10 foot tall giant that everybody else was scared of. David, the one, same one that, you know, he went and picked up five smooth stones, ran at him, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, slings it, hits him in the head, takes the giant's own sword, cuts his head off. Israel wins. That's already happened. And now he's cowered in a cave, saying, I'm scared. But why don't we do that? God gives us victories, big victories. God brings us through some big stuff, huge stuff, does big things in our lives. 
And lo and behold, on down the road, we find ourselves once again afraid, faithless, and scared. Say, Pastor, what is all this for? Because I want you to see this in the Word. Because I want you to see that you're not alone if you've ever been there before. Because I want you to see, because you just, I just I'm just never going to be able to live for God. I'm never going to be able to. This man had killed a giant. He'd been the hero. I mean, the ladies were singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. All that's already gone on. I mean, this dude has been the number one hero. But yet, once again now, he finds himself in a cave. He finds himself faced by an enemy. And he finds himself afraid. Don't you ever think just because you've had victory and breakthrough in your life before that you're never going to have to face anything else again? I wish I could tell you, hey, if you just get over that one, la- that one big thing, you're going to be done. No. We have to continue to fight. Standing at the crossroads, we have a choice to make. Do I turn back now or do I never go back? And as long as we keep the door open, we will never be fully committed to our journey with God. As long as you keep an exit door there to say, I'm going to serve God as long as everything's okay, but I don't know if it don't work out just like I think, I'm probably going to just get out of this thing. Verse 7, my heart is fixed. Some translations say steadfast. Oh, God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. If you ever leave yourself a place to back out, it'll always be in your mind. There's a phrase you may have heard before. Burn the ships. If you came up in the era that I did, I believe it was Stephen Curtis Chapman. If you all remember him, sang a song, Burn the Ships. Well, the phrase is said to have come originally from the 1519 Spanish conquest of Mexico when Commander Cortez burned his ships so that his men would be forced to win or die. Noble or not, what Commander Cortez did was determine a point of no return for him and his men. I've come too far to turn back now. You see, I believe there comes a time in your life where you have to shut the door, throw away the key, give up the option of turning back where you've got to burn the ships and say that I've come too far to turn back now. I've come too far in my faith. I've seen God do too much for me. I've seen God bring me through too much. I've seen how good God is, and I refuse to go back. I've come too far in my faith to turn back now. Not just in faith. Now, this is going to, somebody say, this is, this is bonus. This is bonus here. Not only just in faith, but also in marriage. 
Y'all weren't expecting a marriage seminar here, were you? Don't worry, it's not a seminar. But I do believe, and I know things happen. I've been pastor and I've been living long enough. I know things happen. And I know that there's sometimes, because we're just people and things happen, that sometimes divorce is unavoidable. But let me just be very honest when I tell you, I believe there's a lot that have been avoidable. In marriage, burn the ships. When you stand before a pastor or a judge or whoever you stand, if we're talking about ships, if you're on a ship and it's the captain, when you're standing there and you exchange those vows and the, most importantly in the presence of the Lord, burn the ships. Too many people go into it. Marriage was saying, don't work. There's always divorce. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to say this, that Jamie and I, she'll tell you, Lord, we've, I mean, we're people. We've had some fights, but don't let divorce be a part of your normal arguing. Because if you leave that door open, you'll find yourself looking at that door more and more. In your faith, in your marriage, you've come too far to turn back now. Ephesians 4, 27, and the English Standard Version says this, and give no opportunity to the devil. Too many people have given too many opportunities for the devil. Once again, I don't want to, I am certainly not here to try to lift up the devil. Lord knows that Target and everybody else has been trying to CBS and everybody, KFC even now is in on it, of giving, of giving you know, trying to lift up the devil. I am in no way doing it, but I am doing what the Bible said, and I want to be aware of the enemy. And no, because the Bible said specifically, clearly, give no opportunity to the devil. He's a defeated foe, but me nor you are spiritual enough, are strong enough to take it if we leave the door open to him. If you let him come and sit around in your living room, if you let him come and eat in your refrigerator, if you give him an opportunity, he will take full advantage of you. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, through, 4 and 5 says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Listen to this, and we take every and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. As the musicians and singers come and take their places, I remind you that the fight that we're fighting, it's not the weapons of the world. It's arguments. Every pretense, it's thoughts. You and I will not have to pick up a physical sword or spear or machete or machine gun to fight the devil, but we will fight him right here. The battle that we fight is in the faults 
I told you a couple weeks ago, the devil can't read your mind, but he can sure whisper junk in your ear. And the fight that we fight are those thoughts that the enemy wants to whisper in our ear, those things that he wants to place in our minds. It is the battlefield of the mind. And we must be sure to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do you take it something captive? Whether it's a cage, a jail cell, whatever it may be, you do what you close the door. That's why it says don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him an opportunity. Close the door. I've come too far to turn back now. I can't allow the enemy to set up residence here. I can't allow him to just have free reign up here. I can't allow him to be telling me his lies and just accepting them all the time and letting them. I know sometimes you can't help it. You're going to be tempted and it's going to come. But you do have the choice whether you're going to let it stay there. I've come too far to turn back now. I am not about to let the enemy set up in my mind with free rent. Remember that we are fighting from a position of victory. See, 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus defeated the enemy. In fact, Scripture says he made a show of them openly. What the devil knows, what the enemy, all of his demons and all of heaven and all of hell, they already know it. They saw it. He made a show of them openly. The devil knows he's defeated. We're fighting from a position of victory. We've just got to make up our mind that we've come too far to turn back now. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at StarkvilleCOG.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.